The latest about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of Fish Nerd Podcast, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. Uh, before we begin, uh, actually, I want to apologize for last week's episode. Um, I got some feedback from listeners that the show made them physically ill, hurt their brain, and was just all around bad. And so, uh, for that, I'm sorry if you haven't heard last week's show. Please do not listen to the Tin Fish Special from last week. It was just terrible. Uh, just a disaster of grossness. So do not listen to last week's episode. And I want to welcome tonight's co-host. We have a co-host tonight. Uh, Eric Hoffner. Eric is a fisherman, a photojournalist who worked for Manga Bay, a global environmental news service with 30 million readers. 30 million readers! He's also a producer for Manga Bay's podcast, which I listen to this morning, and the Manga Bay newscast. And uh, which has guests like uh, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, and Paul Simon. Smart people. And he's spending time with me. But photography is his main passion besides fishing. So combining them in, uh, is a thing he does and has a long series uh, going called Hunter Slash Gatherer that chronicles people in pursuit of wild food and has a new series about ice fishing too. Holy smokes, is that an introduction? Welcome to the show, Eric Hoffner. How are you? Hey, great. Thanks, Clay. Glad to well, join you. A lot to unpack just with your intro here. By the way, did you hear my show last week? I did. Yeah, just terrible, wasn't it? Oh, it was just awful. Awful, awful. Please, no one go back and listen to back catalogs of this podcast. Just some bad news. So, <laughs> before we get into tonight's show, we're going to kind of like freeform, almost like this is like a jazz episode. We're going to go all over the place tonight. But uh, before we do that, um, Eric, I want to hear more about your... Um, your photo photography and photojournalism, and I want you to give us some insight on taking fish pictures. Uh, sure, thanks. Yeah. yeah, well, my favorite thing in the whole world is making images. Uh, mm-hmm. I became a journalist really to fit things around the pictures, so I got paid to make the picture. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's really hard to make a living as a photographer, but if you write, you can also take pictures, I find. Right, so but writing is hard. hard. Like that's I, I find writing to be the most difficult thing. I get I get paid to write occasionally too, and I always love seeing my stuff published. But the actual act of writing, I just I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't come naturally to everybody, but everybody's nope. a writer. You that's can. true. Yeah. So yeah, um, I I kind of backed into photojournalism that way and did a lot of freelancing, and I, I worked at a print magazine for 10 years and then and now I'm at a, a news outlet that's all online all the time and uh, just love it I'm an editor there and uh, we cover global environmental issues and uh, you know everything from rainforests to reefs fisheries to uh, illegal logging um, everything that you know certain administrations doing with policy you know affecting uh water quality air quality all kinds of stuff like that and so um it really it it fits my whole background which um i I went to school to study environmental studies because i was a fisherman as a kid Mm -hmm. and uh just kind of really got it my dad dragged me out and my sister's out fishing all the time and on the eastern tip of long island in new york and uh boy we spent so much time learning about you know the ecosystem and seeing how things work and tasting yummy fish and clams and oysters and all that and it just made me think i want to be doing this all the time so and now you get paid for it right i get paid for it yeah that's the amazing thing and there's a lot of people a lot of our listeners um, not just fishermen but they're also uh listeners who are biologists who are scientists and everyone's trying to find a way to make a living uh being a fish nerd and you seem to have dialed it in which is really exciting well, it's super fun. I know uh, you are on that track too, and uh, you know you've got a little fish nerd empire, which uh, I've been really enjoying listening to your show. Yeah, the media empire. <laughs> so, um, so, so, where are you out of, by the way? Western Massachusetts. My wife oh, and I live on seven acres. Yeah. Oh, you're kind of local. I had you pegged as a west as a west coaster. Yeah. So sure, Manga Bay is based in the Bay Area. But our staff is virtual. We have a virtual newsroom. Mm-hmm. And so myself and all the other staff, are, whether they're in Barcelona or Cairo or Jakarta, um, that's where we call home. But yeah, mm-hmm. so that's why you probably thought I was in Menlo Park. 
I had I had it figured out. I thought I knew everything about you. So what part of Massachusetts are you in? Western Mass. It's kind of halfway between Greenfield and Pittsfield. This is a little town called Ashfield. I know Ashfield. So I used to work for the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Services. I drove a van to every state park in Massachusetts that ran on natural gas and taught science out of the back of this van. And so I was, I've taught science on top of Mount Greylock, uh, all through the Berkshires. I've done a lot of fishing out there. I used to camp out next to the van uh, in your area. And so I, I know it. That's really no, cool. And what a beautiful part of Massachusetts. Wow. So the, yeah. the, the part of Massachusetts that everyone knows is the Boston area. You know, it's wicked awesome. And then there's Western Mass, which is a different planet entirely. It's an amazing, beautiful place. Um, it, it's such a cool place to live and how, how neat that you can make a living doing this, living in such a beautiful area. Yeah, Western Mass is Vermont's uncool step cousin. Yeah, or... But they yeah, look but, just the same and they, they have all the same good things going. Yeah, fantastic. And so you're into ice fishing now. Yeah, yeah. I've been making images of ice fishing, hanging out with friends who ice fish and, uh, and also creating an abstract series of ice fishing pictures um, that uh, you can see on my Instagram page that um, I don't know if you've know, noticed this, Clay, but when you drill a hole in the ice and have a great time and pull some big fish through it and all that and maybe put those fish back through it, um, after you leave for the day, that thing freezes back over and all those little bubbles from below all start coming up and into that hole and then eventually it starts to freeze and then they freeze solid and they make the most amazing designs. Like, they look like if you take a camera and you make an image of that real close and then pull all the, the color out of it. And actually, I usually shoot these in black and white film because it's even better. But it's they so look cool. like galaxies. They look like supernovas. They look like the mitochondria in your cells. Uh, blow, they blow people's mind. And uh, they're really fun to make. And I call it a collaboration with um, ice fishermen because I can't do it. I do without them doing what they're doing. Do they know they're collaborating? They do not, but when I'm out <laughs> on the ice with my camera, I'll talk to the guys, ask how big the perch was and such, and uh, and then I'll turn the camera around and show them what I'm shooting, and they'll be pretty amazed. That is amazing. So um, so you're using film still? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I really enjoy it for certain things, especially like this. Yeah, and what is your Instagram handle so people can f check those pictures out? Oh, sure. It's Eric Hoffner, E-R-I-K-H-O-F-F-N-E-R. -E and I've actually got a pretty good following of ice fishermen now because people are pretty pretty much loving them. Well, ice fishermen are in love with the ice, so all those photos are really going to play well. So tag some of us up, the Fish Nerd Nation, up on Instagram, okay. and uh, we'll make sure we comment and get people uh, talking about it, and we will use some of your photos uh, as a link back to our website, and we can show people what you're oh, doing. Fun. So Manga Bay, wow. Uh, and so what's, first of all, what is Manga Bay? So people know. It's an environmental news site started in the 90s. It's a nonprofit uh, based in California, but we have four bureaus around the world. We call the U.S. one bureau, uh, but we also have a physical bureau in Lima, Peru, which covers all of Latin America, which is Central and South America, and they, they publish daily in Spanish. And we have a bureau in Jakarta, and then they cover all of Indonesia and the greater region in uh, Bahasa, which is Indonesian. And we just opened a new bureau in India uh, to do the same. And um, they're publishing in English, but they'll also be uh, publishing in Hindi and other things like that, too. So, yeah, we're just trying to bring environmental news to people in all kinds of places in the world where it doesn't really exist. Because you can live in Chile and grow potatoes, and, but if you don't understand why your river gets lower every year and it's because there's a glacier that feeds the river and the glaciers all are receding because perhaps climate change or something like that. Um, you don't have all the tools to understand and, and know what, um, what you're doing or why your air isn't clean. Um, people need environmental news just to stay healthy and, and to raise good kids and all that kind of thing. So we're trying to bring uh, original environmental news 
um, to people where they are in the languages they speak. And since we're nonprofit, um, we, we don't need to be paid for the actual articles and we don't sell ads around them. But what we do is make these articles freely available to any publication out there who, who wants to run the story on the glaciers or the air quality. Um, they can put it right on their front page, which they do. I mean, we'll, we see, you know, our articles appear, you know, in, uh, our, in um, publications all over the world, and they just say, you know, by, you know, Eric Hoffner at Manga Bay, and then they treat it like their own, and then they, you know, the next thing over is a story about the new Ben Stiller movie or whatever. Because um, nothing says uh, environmental action like Ben Stiller. <laughs> it's a recent example it was it was so funny it was like what is this thing about monkeys doing next to ben stiller oh that's actually perfect i think it is and it's because i think a lot of people forget that that most you know people have multiple interests you know people get locked in like oh, all you care about is fish all you care about is the environment but everyone has multiple interests and so why not stick it in next to ben stiller or something else i think it's really cool yeah exactly. so um so so, working for Manga Bay, how long have you been there? Uh, two years. So, new. I've been in cahoots with the founder for a long time. Cahoots. Um, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a really fascinating guy. And he, he, he founded it out of his uh, bedroom. And he got a, an, an uh, economics degree and was working um, in other things. But his whole passion started in the 90s as a, as a kid, um, fascinated with rainforests. And so his mom was a travel agent and she always was getting these great deals. And she said, well, you know, you know, you love tropical frogs. We'll go to Ecuador and here's a great deal on Madagascar. So he went all over the world with his family, uh, checking out rainforests and reefs and all this sort of stuff. And he fell in love specifically with Madagascar and an island at the very tip of it called uh, Nosy Manga Bay. <laughs> what a great name. Yeah. yeah, so he called it Manga Bay, um, and it was just a personal blog, and then it flowered into a news site, and it was for-profit, and he sold ads, and that whole thing worked, and I was working at a print magazine of the environment at the time, and we, you know, kind of strategized about, you know, how Manga Bay could grow and things like that, but uh, eventually the ad market crashed in 2008, and he was forced to take it nonprofit. and since then it has grown unbelievably. We had two staff, three staff around that time, and now we have 40-some staff, you well, know, fantastic. producing these stories in nine languages. Amazing. That's amazing. And it's neat, too, because if you look at back, back when you were saying he started this, uh, a lot of people at that time were starting blogs that were making money and doing the things. And then, you know, those of us who are late in the game, we missed that window. And so, like, why you know, they're saying, why aren't you making millions of dollars of fish nerds? I'm like, because I timed it badly. I didn't, I didn't come out in the mid-90s. I came out now. And, <sighs> and it matters because now everyone's got a blog and everyone's got a podcast. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's a different game now. So I, it's I love it. a different game. Yeah, yeah, and you have to be, you know, notable for what you do. And fish nerds is, you know, and you're a community, you know, of people who really love to geek out on this stuff, but also love catching fish and, yeah. and talking about the things that all go around it, you know, and, and the science that goes around it. It's such a cool thing that you have Doc Martin on all the time. Oh, uh, Doc, she's, she's gold. If she ever leaves the show, we're just done. So that's oh. all. <laughs> so well, it, it begs the question, though. People are always asking, you know, like, how can you be, you know, pro fish pro environment and at the same time kill fish like can you do both is it possible to be a fisher person catching cook and eat a fish and still be an environmental um servant of some sort yeah and it's a balance yeah. right it's a balance yeah what i always say is uh i gotta eat something everything mm -hmm. eats everything else yeah. you know even if you're vegetarian uh you're eating you know that broccoli we're finding out that broccoli actually is sentient yeah. uh, Somewhere. Trees talk to each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, vegetables have a lot in the ball, and we are actually <laughs> learning a lot about that. Anyway, so everyone has to eat. Yep. And uh, I would prefer to procure my own protein versus buying it from a chicken that lived in a factory that, you know, is very unhealthy and very unhappy uh, versus, you know, finding my own fish. What I do is catch and quit. I don't do catch and release. I think that's um, that's not for me. I don't I don't want to stand on the beach and catch fifty fish and you know 
fight him into the beach and and all that and then just return them i would rather catch and quit you know and, and then enjoy being at the beach you know what i mean so it's catching the one you're going to eat and then they're, they're done for the day exactly it's interesting. that was that's a different add to the most people's fishing i went on a quest to catch all the fish in new hampshire a few years ago and that style of fishing baffled people because i was going after like that fish that day once i got him i'm done and you know and, and it's a different attitude i'm i'm uh, in between all that stuff i'll catch and release forever um unless i'm specifically going out like i need to get dinner and i'm going out to get up so i like it it's an really interesting uh, approach we are super happy to have health iq as our sponsor we all know that that life insurance is super important uh and we all need to take care of our family. So having a company like Health IQ on your side really help you out. Health IQ is great. It takes science and data and it looks at your healthy lifestyle and it tries to give you a better rate on your life insurance. People with a Health IQ are with high Health IQ are 42% less likely to be obese and have half of the hospital half of the hospitalization rate of those with a low health IQ and overall healthy lifestyles associated with a 57 to 60 percent lower risk of cardiovascular disease and and uh, all those cause of mortalities so go to healthiq.com slash fnp fish nerds podcast and get your free quote and it helps us if you just go there and do that it helps the fit the podcast an awful lot shows that we have some impact uh, and believe it or not, fishermen and fisherwomen and, and people in the outdoor world, we are healthy people overall. Uh, not everyone. Um, so go to healthiq.com and take the test. Healthiq.com slash FNP. Thank you, Health IQ. Um, so we're going to move into, uh, in, in a few minutes, we're actually going to do a Manga Bay Fish in the News special uh, in a minute. But before that... Uh, I took the local uh, the local radio station out ice fishing recently, and they made a piece that they aired locally here. I'm going to play that in the podcast right now. Fishing is a pastime that has spanned centuries, and us New Englanders don't let a little thing like freezing temperatures stop us from enjoying this age-old tradition. So when my fish nerd friend Clay Groves offered to take DJ Tony Zorn and myself on the ice and show us how to fish in the frozen north, there was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. We started the day nice and early, meeting Clay at one of his closely guarded secret fishing spots. He explained what exactly goes into finding the perfect spot. What I do is I look at lake maps, I decide what species I'm fishing for, and today we're fishing for lake trout. And they generally like to be like in canyons near humps. So this area of the lake, there's a big canyon, and it's a flat bottom here, about 40 to 50 feet deep. And it's a good place for them to chase smelt and yellow perch and to feed. And so I look at the map and I... I think that looks good, and I go drill a hole and I check it. And as a guide, we pre-fish. We come out the day before, and we fish to try to figure out if we're right about it. So that we take client out. Hopefully, they're catching fish and not guessing with us. He also noted how important ice safety is, especially right now. Anything less than four inches is considered unsafe. But ice safety is a relative term. You might have ten inches here, and there's a little creek over there that runs in. It might be three inches. Check ice as you go. Know the thickness, know what you're doing. If you don't know, you know, stay hot. Don't guess. Originally, when I thought of ice fishing, I imagined a couple of guys, a handsaw, a pair of rods, and maybe a few cold beers. So when I saw Clay hauling a sled full of equipment, I was quite surprised. Of course, you have the basics, rods, bait, hooks, and jigs. But as Clay explained, ice fishing has evolved by leaps and bounds. He brought with him an electric auger to drill the holes in the ice and a portable sonar that almost made fishing like a video game. So sonars are, are super popular for ice fishing and they increase your odds for catching fish a great deal. And they, they just work like bats. So you drop a transducer cone under the ice and the sound waves go down, hit the bottom, bounce back up and record into the unit and you'll be able to see the bottom and you'll be able to see fish on the screen and then the game is match your little jig up with the fish and trick them into biting. But as any good fisherman knows, even with the most sophisticated equipment in the world, you won't catch a thing without a good technique. You always want to be able to feel your jig, right? What I do is I hold it like a pencil, like a little sideways like okay, this. Okay, yep. The trick is when you get a fish on there, yep. don't fight him too hard. Yep. Don't let loose line out. Like he can run line out, but don't ever let your line get loose. Drop your line to the bottom, jig up a little bit, drop it down, jig up. Clay was instructing Tony on how to use a proper jigging technique to catch a trout when, as if on cue, a fish bit Tony's line. Move every 15 minutes until you find the fish. Oh, there he is. 
Don't let it loose. Reel it in. Reel it. You got a fish. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. You can Take see it. Take your time. Oh, my gosh. Take your time. Don't fight too hard. You'll get tired. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Already. So, wow. Uh, that's not typical. You hear him singing? Yeah. After a picture with his catch and a kiss goodbye, Tony let what Clay said was one of the biggest trout he'd ever seen caught in the lake go. You may be thinking, well, it seems simple enough to ice fish. Why on earth would I need a guide? I asked Clay the very same question. When people ask, you know, why should I hire a guide to take me fishing, it's a time money swap. I've been fishing this lake for eight years. For eight years, I've had terrible times out here, and I figured out this year how to catch them. You pay me to take you fishing, I will save you eight years of work. Tony, you just saved eight years. And you're so young and pretty because of it. So, so that's what they describe. It's just, you know, you know, someone who knows the water, knows the fish, knows where they live, how to catch them, techniques, and will coach you through it. And I carry all the gear. I mean, you don't have to carry anything. You just carry your body out in the ice and wear your fancy hat, and that's it. So, <laughs> simple. He also talked about what a typical day on the ice with a guide is like. It's cooking brats, it's a warm belly, hot coffee all day, cocoa, if that's your thing. Um, but this is not your grandfather's ice fishing trip. This is not setting traps and waiting all day long. This is active fishing. We've been out here today 25 minutes. How many Lakers so far? Two? Two. That's not bad. Now I can't promise things. It is fishing. Fish move around, but today is good. Tony, are you happy? I'm happy. Catch more fish. After a few more hours on the ice, it seemed like the fish had bested me. With Tony getting five fish, including his one monster trout, I was starting to lose faith. But after a few secret hints from Clay, I finally landed the big one. Or at least the big one's much, much smaller baby brother. The old saying goes that if you buy a man a fish, he eats for a day, but if you teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. Well, after my adventure on the ice, my meals may be much smaller than Tony's, but the memories and good times we had on the ice will keep us entertained for a lifetime. To check out the pictures from our day on the ice with Clay, log on to our website, conwaymagic.com, and to set up your own fishing adventure, well, just visit fishnerds.com. Okay, and you can uh, you can find links to uh, that story and photos at fishnerds.com. Big thanks to uh, WMWV for airing that piece and coming out fishing. That's awesome. Impossible. The fish god smiled. Uh, oh, my God, and don't we need him sometimes? I took, so well, last week's episode, we were fishing with uh, the Conway Daily Sun. It was supposed to be fishing for burbot or cusk. And we couldn't catch anything, so I made him eat terrible food instead. And that story will never be in the paper. So <laughs> you, can't, you can't win them all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you today also by Gail's Hot Box Huts. Mm, when I think about ice fishing, I think about Gail's Hot Box Huts. On beautiful Cooks Bay in Lake Simcoe, Ontario, they have jumbo perch and huge pike. And when I think about huge pike, I think about hot box huts. Mmm, <laughs> nothing hotter than a hot box. <laughs> you can rent it for the day. You can rent a sleeper. Uh, you can go to um, Facebook and look for hot box huts for more information. We'll put links up and we'll link you up on Facebook as well. And we big thank you to Gail from Hot Box Huts for uh, throwing some money at us and helping us keep this uh, pirate show pirate ship floating. And uh, I mean, who can who, who wouldn't love hot box huts? So. Go check them out. And we're taking all the news tonight directly from Manga Bay. I might pull in something else from somewhere else, but for now it's, it's Manga Bay. And Eric, you uh, threw me a lot of stories today. Well, yeah, we have a whole, you know, feature well. We tag all our stories as to what they're about, and uh, um, it's pretty easy to find the categories at the site and just click on fish or fisheries, and you are presented with a long list of very uh, varied and interesting topics. Right. Um, and the first one I wanted to share is actually yeah. pings off of Doc Martin because she was recently talking about pupfish for the, for the uh, news, for the that segment and uh there was this interesting thing that happened that we just covered um here in the u.s that um there was an earthquake you may recall on january 23rd there was an earthquake in alaska mm -hmm. and um there was like a tsunami warning and all that um but I it was do remember yeah but it, it was it was a strange earthquake and traveled in weir weird ways and two thousand miles away 
it created uh, waves inside of a uh, this cave underneath Death Valley. Where so there was a cave. Desert pupfish live. Oh yes. Now I read about uh, those pupfish years ago, and like, didn't someone swim in there and like kill half the population? Yeah, that was. Yeah, we covered that one too. That was yeah. kind of terrible. <laughs> Who knew? Skinny, skinny well, dipping is dangerous, not just for you, but for the fish. You're terrible yep. if you kill pupfish, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, these guys are actually called Devil's Hole pupfish. They're super oh. rare. And they only live in this Devil's Hole cave. You know, it's interesting, fun fact. Last week after eating all that um, canned fish, I suffered from Devil's, Devil's Hole. That <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> was terrible. But I'm bummed. Fun fact, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, so th this earthquake caused one-foot-high waves inside the cave, and there were scientists happened to be monitoring these fish, and as soon as this, this wave action happened in this normally completely still environment, the fish went into breeding uh, behavior, just like that. Wait, so the waves are what triggered the breeding. Because I always thought breeding was done by, like, you know, time of year, daylight hours, water temperature, and now we know it, we learned it's something else. It can be something else. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the aquatic ecologist called it crazy that this could happen. <laughs> the science-y word. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. bananas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he said, you know, immediately the females started turning olive brown, which tells the males that uh, it's time to go, and, and they stay brilliant blue, and so they, and they all start their, you know, the whole uh, thing. So, uh, interesting. I, I wonder, because, like, I'm going to just get a little bit funny. I, so, so the females turned on, and the males were like, all right, she's ready, I'm ready. And is that true with most animals, do you think? Like, the males are always in the game, and the females are always the ones who decide when is the time to do the things? Yeah, it's really, you know? gosh, with fish... <laughs> I mean, if you're watching the BBC uh, show right now, uh, Blue Planet, mm -hmm. they're talking a lot about fish behavior and just how various it is. Who does what? When When does the male turn into a female or vice versa? And, you know, and all these different species have different strategies. You know, and this, in this case, you know, is disturbance events are typically like what make the fish spawn. And they'll do oh, it around. I get it. I get it. Plague, or there's a flood. In those sort of situations, pupfish turn on. Uh, you know, though humans are the same way. You know, like <laughs> you got a, you got a missile coming in towards Hawaii. <laughs> you get the announcement, and you're like, "All right, we got 25 minutes. Let's go. Just do it one more time." And you think they're, 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 they're thinking, you know, you don't do it now. It's now or never. We better go get it because something terrible is happening. <laughs> so. Yep. Let's, oh, let's it. live it up. Yeah. And so th there is an explanation for this is that when their waves hit the caves, the, it splashes up on the sides of the cave and it washes detritus and debris off of the walls and into the water, which becomes a food source. Mm -hmm. So they are triggered to say, oh, okay, we got you know, more food in the water than we usually do, a thousand or however there many there are, so we can have uh, a new generation. That's amazing. And how cool is it that scientists happen to be there right then when it happened to record all that? Yeah, that's, and that's the... Just luck. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, you know, and it's so unsexy. So much of science is just creeping through and... and you know, having a hypothesis and not getting the data or the data shows you something different and you're cold and you're wet or whatever, but you also get to be in beautiful places. And sometimes you get to be in, in places where something happens and, and you say, wow, this is, this is science. I've just discovered a thing. It's neat. Well, that is fantastic. That's amazing news. All right. So what else we got? Uh, all right. So let's go to the other side of the world. Yeah. There's a, um, We've all been hearing about the geopolitics of China and Indonesia and all these Southeast Asian countries and America trying to get in there. Everyone claiming parts of the sea is theirs and uh, kind of having these standoffs. But one thing that all the nations down there can agree on is that illegal fishing in their own waters is a big problem. And, you know, they, it's getting increasingly possible to track freighters that come in from wherever and all of a sudden are in your you can see them on the satellite you know they're mm -hmm. they're clearly fishing because they're zigzagging back and forth across a known ridge or something like that um 
And so uh, all these nations, including Indonesia, have taken pretty strong steps against illegal fishing in recent years, and um, including seizing boats and, and scuttling them and just blowing them up and, and sinking them to become new reefs, you know, and uh, presumably sending the sailors back to whatever country they came from. Yeah, that's. But, I was looking at the photos um, on your website on this one, and it, they're pretty remarkable photos. <laughs> and you can just see these boats exploding. Kaboom! Kaboom. Now, what happens? I, this is kind of a question that no one ever posts. Like, so let's say the illegal boats are coming in fishing. They're presumably scooping up tons of fish. We catch them, and we blow up the boats. All those fish are dead already. They're caught illegally. Do they go to market? Do they go to feed people? What happens to those fish? That's a really good question. And I would, being a person who hates waste and loves fish, I would love to actually go and, and follow that trail. Because, you know, in the Indonesia case, you know, they talk about seizing the, the boats and the catch. So right. I hope at least they distribute the fish to, you know, kitchens or something like that people where people can actually make use of it i'm sure they don't just throw them away i mean people are too practical for that i hope they're too practical for that i mean it's it's a funny you say you take that like world and you you, you narrow you, you can do it down to like uh, the the freshwater fishing world or even social like just angling you know and if you catch a fish illegally or you catch a fish that's the wrong species the wrong size and whatever and it's going to die anyway you have to put it back in the ocean because it's illegal to take that fish. And so I'm, I always wonder, like, do they just, do they have no choice because of the way the laws are written? They got to dump them off. The, they can't, you can't take them. So you got to yeah. dump them. Yeah. I really wonder. Yeah. I'm curious. There's always this question mark of, you know, what happens next. But so in this case, the uh, Philippines has, has taken a, a cue from, from Indonesia and uh, you've probably heard of the president of the Philippines. He's gotten fairly notorious for for encouraging and and leading a, a mass execution, really, of, of people who, who sell and do drugs in the Philippines. I mean, tens of thousands of people, I think, have been oh murdered. By, I have not heard that. President Duterte. Yeah, he's actually being called to the International Criminal Court for this and he's defiant so he's a bit of a firebrand and yeah. uh, so he but he also feels strongly about it's not cool for foreign fishermen to be in our waters taking uh, our fish um and especially it's off this thing called the benham plateau which is this underwater rise which you know whenever you have that sort of structure you know fish kind of come up that rise and then there's a whole other kind of life and, and the food chain is, is better so they're trying to protect that and what he did was was call on his navy to shoot at any ships that are fishing illegally and sink them with people on them yeah he's like i don't care you're here nope. you're dead meat that's it Wow. If you get something there from the economic zone, I will order the Navy to fire, quote-unquote. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, um, has it been working? <laughs> this is just, this is a new uh, salvo. This has um, been quoted uh, in, by CNN in the Philippines. And so it's, it's a statement of intent. Um, and it's brand new, so we don't know. I don't know if he's done it yet. And he's already he going to be in trouble. And this could get him worse trouble because just just blowing people up is bad. Yeah, General. Um, I, I, I agree that illegal fishing is also bad. Yeah, this <laughs> is like the worst way to remedy it. Yeah. It but it's bad. so Rodrigo Duterte. It's just yeah. over the top again. Well, you know, when you... Uh, now, what kind of... I, I don't know enough about the Philippines. <laughs> what kind of government do they have there? Is it elected government? Is it, um, what is it? Yeah, it's an elected government. This fellow was the governor of one of the bigger cities and uh, did win the last election. He's only been in office like a year and a half. Jesus, so, so familiar. Made <laughs> <a> real, <laughs> yeah. He had a real big standoff with uh, Obama and then, uh -huh. uh, because Obama was very critical of, you know, all the mass murders that are going yeah. on and just, and no investigation of who's killing all these people and, and was it justified, all that. But then uh, President Trump comes in and, and Trump praises him as being, you know, an example of, of being a strong leader. So he's been in, in the news quite a bit in just a year and a half. 
as people react to these, you know, other these, these uh, opinions that American leaders have of them. Gosh, that's it's really interesting. It'll be, it'll be interesting to follow through and see what happens uh, with with Dor- Is it Dorte? How do you say it? Duterte. Duterte. Be interesting to see what happens with all that, uh, and to see if these wreaths are making uh, actually um, make more fish happen. <laughs> so. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 you know what's funny? I don't want anyone getting killed for anything anywhere. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. God. Yeah, you would think that people are going to be on notice not to kind of screw around and go on to this particular <laughs> underwater feature. Yeah, that said, I mean, these the guys doing the fishing out there, a lot of these illegal fishers are almost in a slave trade in a way. They're, they're, the people on the boat don't have a choice of where they're going, and the captain is forcing them to do the things. Um, well, you know, if you're already fishing illegal, you're already breaking probably a lot of other laws along with that. Uh, and some of these boats that, that do these things are just awful. Oh yeah, they just hoover up everything. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they don't take care of the people on the boat very well. They wreck the fish. I mean, it's just it's all bad all around. Uh, and gosh, but what if what if what if Duterte is right? What if this works? Well, you know, deterrent is uh, is a thing, and this certainly, is a thing. you know, he's found that it works for the drug trade. The, you know, the it is having an effect. I don't know that it's stopping people from using drugs, but certainly the number of drug dealers has gone down by several thousand. As However many is killed. Morgue. Yeah. 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 Or are they, or are they like coyotes? Like, you know, that if you kill a coyote, it actually increases the population in your area. Right. Right. What, what if killing them just separates them and spreads them out more? And well, sure. That's more, you know, people get killed and then there's, you know, work for more drug dealers yep. because those guys are out. So I, I could be in <sighs> complex <laughs> problems this world has. All right, we're not going to solve them here. All right, that's uh, that's that's not funny or interesting. Well, it's interesting, but it's not funny news at all. <laughs> so, all right, give me it's something. Definitely else. zany news. It's well, interesting. So, so here's positive. Here's here's something we're we're working on at Manga Bay, which we're having a lot of fun. And you can read about this stuff at mangabay.com. It's spelled just like you would think. Um, but a simple web search will turn us up. Yeah, and we'll link you up at fishers.com as well, oh, cool. of course. Yeah. yeah. So um, we are teaming up with a researcher named Greg Asner, who run. He won the Heinz Award a couple of years ago, which is a really big award. Right for ketchup. <laughs> for ketchup. Makes <laughs> great ketchup. It's delicious. Um, but yeah, it's the Heinz family who you know brought us ketchup and they have this <laughs> award for people who are really brilliant. And this fella has figured out how to outfit um, planes with the most uh, up-to-date remote sensing gear, everything from radars to LIDARs to uh, high-resolution cameras, and fly low over things like rainforests or reefs and map them. He's a spatial ecologist. So he's, he's Wait, going spatial ecologist. What a spatial great... ecologist. Yeah. Oh, I love it. God, I love it's a nerds. whole world of, of ecology just on that. And it's about uh, mapping and understanding exactly what's out there and how the different parts of an ecosystem work together, like in literal shapes, you know. And, and once you have, you know, that kind of information, you can really, you know, fit all the other things on top of it you know, the other layers, which is what we know about species and, um, you know, rainfall patterns or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, his team flies over these areas and maps them and he, he can, you know, create these, these things that are so useful to the rest of science. Um, and, and so we're teaming up with him uh, based on what we did with him in the past. And he gave us some great scoops like two years ago. He, found the world's tallest tropical trees uh, in um, Borneo just by flying over the plane. He was able to pick out the specific species of trees and their height from the air with this equipment. And they couldn't do that before? No, they couldn't do it before. You would have to go down on the ground and use, you know, those kinds of tools that we're familiar with or just climb the tree. Um, Yeah. A really long tape measure. Oh, God, yeah, totally. <laughs> so he, he's also tricked this gear out to map underwater features. It can see underwater. So, and he's a diver by, 
by training and passion. And so he's flying over these reefs and mapping them from the air. And the, the equipment in the plane is so sensitive that it can figure out what kind of sea turtle species that is that just came up for a breath. It's, wow. Um, yeah. So is that, is that what I heard on your most recent podcast? That conversation, yeah, yeah, exactly. We had yeah. him on the on the Manga Bay newscast. Um, yeah, it sounded like he just he, you got him on and just let him talk because he was just so full of data and information. So interesting, yeah. yeah. And, and they combine those sort of surveys with you know diving underwater and just checking it out personally. But but he said on the on the on the show that uh, they can assess the health of the reef from the air, and they really hope that they're going to be able to do a survey of this going all around the world, uh, which he's documenting uh, for us at Mangabe. And not only will it, you know, show the extent of reefs we know and how healthy they are, but he's pretty sure he's going to find lots of new reefs that no one has uh, put on a map anywhere and uh, start putting more pins in the chart for where we can, uh, you know, see great species, discover new stuff, uh, find refuges where coral are are going you know well um in versus you know what we see in australia all the time there's you know all the bleaching happening from too warm water from climate change so um there's a lot of hope for for discovering you know new fish populations and refuges where you know groupers are are doing really well and what can we learn from them and, and apply that to the caribbean or or to other areas around the world or or the you know it's it's amazing um it's it's amazing where technology is bringing us you know you look at like in the last like 10 or 15 years, all this stuff has been just making it so we have so much more data and hopefully that data is being used to drive policy. Is there any uh, effect happening now on policy? Are people looking at this and going, oh, you know what, maybe we should take climate change more seriously or maybe, you know, can, are we helping <laughs> with this data? What's it doing? Yeah, well, certainly we're helping. Um, the world is helping itself with the Paris Accord, that mm -hmm. whole uh, thing, and, and the world is pushing ahead with it uh, without the U.S. Without, without us? Mm-hmm. But, mm -hmm. but wow. what's really cool is that the mayors of the U.S., something like 280 of them now, have said, no, we, we're signing on to the Paris Accord, and myself and my administration and my area, we're going to cut our carbon emissions because it's better for our people. Um, it creates more jobs uh, through, you know, energy efficiency measures and through solar panel installations and all that. So mayors are taking action, but also Wall Street's taking action. They're saying coal and nuclear power. We're sorry, Mr. Trump, but those things aren't actually coming back. They're not um, anything that Wall Street wants to invest in. And and they, they, they had just looked at it as um, the sheer economics of it and decided those things are losers. And so these things are declining. And nuclear power plants are shutting down. They they're trying to build new ones, and they're they're really struggling to even make anything happen. This clean coal idea Not that also is completely <laughs> uneconomic, yeah. and that has been thrown out. So I mean, so there's hope in that regard that people, you know, we have so much information now. It's incontrovertible that the weather is changing, um, and we need to take action. So people are doing it. In terms of reefs and mapping reefs to bring it back. Um, the UN has named this year the Year of the Reef. Um, yesterday, uh, Prince Charles came out and made a huge statement about um, we got to act now and, you know, in concert with the UN and use all the information we have and the good ideas we have, you know, the programs we know work and, and, and change hearts and minds and, and bring our reefs back. Make reefs great again. Oh, perfect. I love it. <laughs> Make a hat. <laughs> Make a big red hat. Yeah, it'd be perfect. You know, uh, it's it's such a funny world we live in right now, and where data doesn't drive people's decisions as a rule, but maybe this will help uh, visually do it. Because visual, like people, when they see things, that's when the emotional stuff happens. And that gets us back to your photography. See what I'm doing? Oh, wow. I'm pulling it right back, because I want to, before I wrap up, I want to end the news. The Fish Nerds Podcast is brought to you today by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, vegetarians, vegans, outdoors people get better rates on their life insurance. Go to healthiq.com slash FNP, Fish Nerds Podcast, to support our show and see if you qualify. 
people who use who have a healthy lifestyle are less likely to go to the hospital, less likely to be sick. They live longer, so they should get better rates on their insurance. Fifty-six percent of Health IQ customers save between four and thirty-three percent on their life insurance. Health IQ can save our customers thirty-three percent because physically active people have a fifty-six percent lower risk of heart disease. Heart disease sucks. Twenty percent. Lower risk of cancer. Cancer sucks. And 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. Like saving you money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves money on life insurance for you as a reward for you living a health-conscious lifestyle. To learn more and get a free quote, go to healthiq.com FNP. And I want to talk a little bit about, I want to pick your brain for just two minutes on taking fish pictures because I, I take fish pictures a lot and they're awful. And is there, do you take pictures of actual fish when you're out fishing? I do. I really do try. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's, there's just some basic rules that are really important for, for a good fish picture. Uh, give us the rules is the main thing um we're not really interested in the arm you know we're not interested in the legs attached to the fishermen we're interested in the fish so if you can make that fish uh, as front and center as possible you'll be served well and you know even our little pocket size computer phone thingies now have really amazing settings for um close-up photography for saturated colors so um, if you if you can if you have a camera or if you have a phone and you can you can find those macro settings figure out which one it is and be ready with it because when your buddy pulls that thing through the ice um and and holds it up you know you have you can bring it right in close the closer you get the better and 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 the nice thing is you know if you compose it right you know you can get the the close-up of the fish you know and the hand holding it by the lip but you can also see her in the background, you know, having triumphed over this great big pike, you know, and she's, she's holding it. But, you know, if you can, if you can compose all of that stuff together, not everything needs to be sharp. You know, the fish is, that's the, um, the front and center, it's the star, but. Make the fish the hero. Like, when you focus in the short, um, yeah, the fish is here. Um, if you focus um, really close, the background gets that nice little fuzzy look to it, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit out of focus. And that, um, that's, that's one of the things I find really makes a great fishing picture. So I use a, a low F setting on my camera for that kind of thing. And that's, you know, getting out into more of a manual sort of situation, but even on the digital SLRs, you can, you can tell a camera, which, which F stop you want it to use. So it's anything down in the lower, um, regions will give you that kind of thing that sort of effect any tricks for like those of us with uh who aren't out with fancy equipment we all we have is our iphone in our pocket mm-hmm. is there a trick there sure yeah perspective is perspective. another really useful thing you know you've got that that um lake trout flopping on the ice um what what do you think would which, be better? which by the way if you're flopping over it and yeah. shoot oh go ahead <laughs> If you're flopping a lake trout in the ice uh, and you're going to release it, that's bad form. Just to really put that out there. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Not good for the fish. Too uh, Yeah. Um, well, but we do do that sometimes. Right, <laughs> and, if you're going to keep it. Yeah, or we take the fast, the, the quickest shot we can for a release. And if we're alone, it's this weird selfie thing. It doesn't mm. work. Right. So, uh, but yeah, just drop it next to the hole, take a shot, stuff it down the hole and hope it lives. That's the method. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> in that situation, in that moment, is is it going to be better picture? You think, Clay, if you if you stand right over it with your phone and shoot down and get the tips of your boots as well, and and just and you know a full profile of the fish laying on the ice, or if you take your phone and you put it all the way down and literally have it on the ice in your hand, shooting directly at the fish from that perspective where the fish looks enormous where you can see the the tree line behind you know on on the edge of the lake you know or a tip up you know is is behind it um that is that kind seeking that sort of perspective is going to give you a better picture every time and sometimes it's going to take you a few more tries because unless you get on your belly behind the phone which Mm -hmm. is you know i do that i get on the ice behind my camera just to make sure i get that shot but if you if you put your camera on burst 
your phone on burst, you know, it takes a bunch of pictures. One of those could really one. kill. I love it. That's really great advice. Now, it's funny. This summer, I did a story for a magazine, and I had a photographer with me, and we caught one trout, and we needed pictures of fish, and we took so many photos of that fish, we had no choice but to eat it. Uh, <laughs> so that fish had to die for art. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. So sad. Hey, but you know what? They're actually, uh, I should mention this. You know, Massachusetts Wildlife Division of Wildlife has a magazine. Uh, I did know that, yes. The current issue of Massachusetts Wildlife has a whole thing on taking great uh, pictures of your catch for Instagram. Specific for Instagram? Yeah, for, for social media. No kidding. Yeah, really great. They went through and they, you know, and these two women talked about deer and also, you know, birds, but but fish and all this sort of stuff and gave a whole bunch of great tips. So, and that is a great magazine. Anyone in, in the Northeast, if you're interested, it's $6 a year to get this magazine. And That's free. And it's That's full of great free. stuff. Like, how do you catch bitter uh, fish through the ice? Uh, what's you know what's the most rare duck in the state or whatever it's really interesting stuff anyway. oh that's cool we'll put a link up to that on fishnerds.com yeah, uh, and we need to wrap this up because i've got to go so that's it you've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing big thanks to my family for supporting us while we podcast go on fishing quest and do all the silly things that nerds do big fat special thanks to eric hopper from Monga bay of course links at fishnerds.com Until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. Swim against the current every chance you get. All right, Eric, any parting last words? Oh, yeah, just come visit us at mangabay.com. And if you like podcasts, look the Manga Bay newscast up in your iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify and listen to what we got going because we're uh, all up in science and love podcasting. So it's been really fun joining you and the Fish Nerds. Hey, totally great. Hey, thanks, Eric. Of course, links to everything at fishnerds.com. 